You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Good evening, everyone. It's another packed show tonight. We're following breaking news from the nation's capital. A newly declassified U.S. intelligence report confirms that Russian President Vladimir Putin did indeed try to boost Donald Trump's campaign ahead of the 2020 election. And the report debunks Trump and his administration's claim that China tried to do the same for Joe Biden, finding that no, China did not seek to influence the election. Also, Mitch McConnell is threatening to scorch the earth if Democrats get rid of the filibuster, as if he hasn't already laid waste to the United States Senate. Later in the show, I'll be joined by the perfect guest to discuss McConnell's intimidation tactics, former U.S. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. And he has a lot to say about old Mitch. But we begin the readout tonight with the, uh, this evening with the deep hole that Ron Johnson continues to dig for himself. The Republican senator from Wisconsin is doubling down on his experiment in making the quiet part really, really loud. Last week, when he said he would be more afraid if the violent insurrection on January 6th had been led by Black Lives Matter protesters. On January 6th, I never felt threatened. I knew those are people that love this country, that uh, truly respect law enforcement, would never do anything to, to break a law. And so I wasn't concerned. Now, had the tables been turned, Joe, this could be in trouble. Had the tables been turned and President Trump won the election, and those were tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters, I might have been a little concerned. It's no surprise that Johnson's remarks provoked the national outcry, including justified accusations of racism, even from the floor of the United States Senate. Here's Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey today. Look, I, I get no one likes to be called racist, but sometimes there's just no other way to describe the use of bigoted tropes that for generations have threatened black lives by stoking white fear of African-Americans and black men in particular. One of our colleagues to cast those who attacked the Capitol as harmless patriots while stroking fear of black Americans is like rubbing salt in an open wound. But Ron Johnson says the left is trying to silence him. And he's saying so in an op-ed in The Wall Street Journal, a paper with a circulation of three million readers. Yes, Ron Johnson wants us to believe the United States senator and a darling of right-wing media, someone with a press staff and a salary of $174,000 a year, he wants us to believe that he is being censored. Now, far from silent, Ron Johnson is on a media blitz to defend the indefensible. He's done at least three interviews since yesterday. And even though he said he knew his remarks would get him into trouble, he now claims he's surprised that anyone would dare think of him or his comments as racist. I completely did not anticipate that anybody could interpret what I said as racist. It's not. There was nothing racial about my comments, nothing whatsoever. It's completely been blown out of proportion. There was nothing racial in my comments whatsoever. I think it's pretty obvious and true. And even innocuous statement that I made, never anticipated they would turn that into what they always turn the debate into, racism. Then why did you say you knew that would get you in trouble? 
Ron. Now, not only is Ron Johnson trying to play the victim, he's also defending his ridiculous assertion that Black Lives Matter is far scarier than the violent mob of armed insurrectionists. You know, the people who love this country and respected law enforcement. It just happened to have a noose with them when they strolled into the Capitol to hang Mike Pence. In doing so, he's trying to concoct a vast left-wing conspiracy, equating Black Lives Matter with the usual right-wing boogeymen like Antifa and the so-called radical left. In his op-ed, Johnson writes, we should all be disgusted at the cynical way Antifa and other leftists hide behind the banner of equality. He claims this isn't about race, it's about riots. The rioters who burned Kenosha weren't of any one ethnicity. They were united by their radical leftism. The whole column is frankly incoherent, honestly. For example, Ron Johnson cites the unrest in Kenosha as some of his alleged receipts, but he conveniently leaves out Kyle Rittenhouse, the teenage militia member who was reportedly associated with the far-right extremist, extremist group, the Boogaloo Boys. Rittenhouse shot and killed two Black Lives Matter protesters with an AR-15. He was the violent one and is now charged with double murder. Far from being the aggressors, Black Lives Matter protesters are often the victims of right-wing violence, including in Louisville, Kentucky, where two of them were shot and one killed. And there's no evidence that others arrested in Kenosha even identified with the loosely organized anti-fascists that Republicans just hate so much, a.k.a. Antifa. Antifa just means anti-fascists. In fact, there's been nothing to confirm that Antifa or so-called radical leftists are responsible for anything close to what Senator Ron Johnson describes. As of October, according to the AP, the only apparent mention of Antifa in court documents was in a single case. On the contrary, there is ample evidence that right-wing groups are responsible for inciting violence at Black Lives Matter demonstrations last summer, including a Boogaloo boy who killed a federal officer in Oakland and used the peaceful protests as cover. Now, none of that is of interest to Senator Ron Johnson, of course, because he would rather portray those of all races who dare to seek racial justice as the villains and not the MAGA mob who tried to overturn an election. For more, I'm joined by Angela Rye, former executive director and counsel for the Congressional Black Caucus and former FBI special agent Clint Watts. Clint, I'm going to start with you because there's a long history of people like Ron Johnson pretending that civil rights was actually a conspiracy to hurt or kill white people. That's the way that it worked in the 1960s when J. Edgar Hoover, sort of a pre-Ron Johnson, Ron Johnson, uh, sicked the FBI on people like Dr. King, on civil rights activists claiming that they were conspiring and often there were anti-Semitic uh, sort of relations to that too, conspiring with Jewish communists to trick black people into thinking they wanted equality. It, uh, how is Ron, what Ron Johnson's doing any different than that? Well, it's fascinating, uh, Joy. In September of 2019, I testified to the committee that Senator Ron Johnson was on. And what he was most concerned about was that there was no discussion of his extremism as being right wing. That was his big concern that day. He just saw it as there are extremists out there and let's talk about all sides of it. That was the entire point of his lecture that day. Yet you could point to it and say, well, they are wearing Donald Trump hats. You would think that was logical, but that's what it was. So it's a two year campaign to essentially try and create some equivalency, which is not there. There's no evidence to support it. And at the same time, this is somebody who is providing oversight, by the way, of the Department of Justice, providing oversight of something like the Department of Homeland Security, providing oversight of what is a very dangerous phenomenon, which is local law enforcement members having dual membership with a lot of these groups. Essentially, we see white supremacists, government militias. That is where we can't have effective law enforcement that's equal for all people in America. 
You know, and, and another way to look at it, um, Angie, is that he's trying to undermine the investigation because he, like Donald Trump, sees these people as part of his base. You've got all the way back to Charlottesville. The only time you saw Antifa was when they were getting in fistfights with Nazis. That's when you saw Antifa. We haven't really seen them since. But you can go all the way through Michigan. They these same right wing kinds of groups to say they're going to kidnap the governor. You can go all the way through the Boogaloo Boys who attack. Let me show some video to our audience if people don't remember this. This is cut three for my producers. Remember this? This was at an, a Black Lives Matter protest where you had a guy. This is in Minneapolis. This is during the George Floyd protests. And the person who's breaking glass and starting trouble. And we saw so much of this. We're not Black Lives Matter people who were filming this guy. Another right-wing guy. He finally gets identified. He's a white supremacist. This kind of libel against Black Lives Matter, in your view, Angela, what is the point of it? Well, it's the traditional boogeyman strategy, Joy, right? We know from um, ages of political strategy that they, there always has to be a bad guy. And in this instance, it is the labeling of Black Lives Matter as Antifa, as communist, as inherently dangerous as black, right? Like black in and of itself is the boogeyman in this country. Um, and so you see um, that uh, whether we call them dog whistles or foghorns now, when they say things like, well, I know they're patriots and they love this country. Now that is all of the sudden code for domestic terrorists, MAGA hat wearers, and Confederates. You saw all of those flags, the Trump 2020 flag interchanged with the Confederate flag, interchanged with, I'm sorry, substituted for um, an American flag on the Hill that day on January 6th. And so for Ron Johnson to say, you know, he wants to talk about riots, well, then let's. Let's talk about riots. Let's talk about how police officers um, would turn a blind eye to what happened on Capitol Hill, would turn a bl blind eye to racial uprising and riots from domestic terrorists who look more like Ron Johnson than look like me or you, Joy. Let's talk about riots and let's talk about the outcome from those riots. But most of all, let's talk about what it means to really protect black lives in this country and stop with the dangerous labeling. That's what we really need to talk about. You know, and Angela, to stay with you for a moment, I mean, you were talking to people that day, the day of the January 6th insurrection, people you knew, staffers. Did, did any of them report to you that Ron Johnson walked out and met those protesters and talked to them? Because I also think he's a bald-faced liar. He was scared with everybody else and running with everybody else. As far as I can see, he was running, not standing there and having a, a, a little elocution with his friends. Yeah, no, Joy. And I think the reality of it is um, so many of them did not know what was going on. They knew who was there. But, um, you know, there is this convenient um, misremembering of what actually happened. And now the fact that these folks were patriots and they were just upset and I wanted to go out there and say, I feel your pain. No, you didn't, because you didn't know who was coming in, how they were getting in. And there were a whole lot more Eugene Goodmans around that helped to save people like Senator Ron Johnson and many of his colleagues. It didn't matter what party you were that day. People just were trying to survive and figure out what was going on, whether you were on the Republican side of the aisle or you were on the Democratic side of the aisle. Everybody got the same alerts from their cell phones telling them to shelter in place, to stay right where they were because they didn't know when these folks or how these folks were going to get in the building. That's the truth. So he can have whatever kind of convenient memory he wants. But the truth is racism is as racism does. And that's exactly what it did on January 6th.
Clinton, let's talk about, indeed, Clinton, let's talk about this um, investigation. 900 search warrant, 15,000 hours of surveillance and body camera footage, 210,000 tips, 80,000 witness interviews, 300 suspects charged. This is like the largest investigation that we have seen in modern U.S. history. In, in your view, how, how far does this go? You just were doing a long tweet about the really lengthy investigation about Russian attacks on our election. We got a lot of detail. Are we going to get this kind of forensic detail on on this, do you think, ultimately? I, I do, Joy. I, one of the funniest things about this scenario is for these perpetrators is they're also the anti-mask perpetrators. So there's an overwhelming body of evidence of, of the acts that they committed. I mean, we know who they are. We figure it out over time. The other thing that you're starting to see from the FBI's criminal complaints that they're lodging is they are using evidence that is being gathered from other people that are being arrested from other search warrants that they're doing and electronic surveillance. So you're batching up all of the threads of evidence now. This is how you build towards a conspiracy case. We also see in, in several cases, particularly the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, two investigations that already seem to be scaling, meaning that there's communication, resourcing, coordination. You're seeing all the elements that could be a broader conspiracy case. I think the next part is that this will go on for months. Uh, you know. Watching the public reaction, yes, they want justice. For the FBI to do this many arrests in such a short period, to go through that many thousands of hours of footage, to go all around the country and just identify these people where they're at, arrest them, bring them in. I can't imagine a caseload that has been larger any time in, in U.S. history, really, than what they have to manage right now. Even after 9-11, a devastating attack lots of evidence recovery, you still were looking for 19 hijackers. In this case, the FBI and all the state and local law enforcement are looking for thousands of Americans, ultimately, uh, to try and bring them to justice. So I know America wants this to come to fruition, but I think they'll be patient. This will go on at least the rest of the year, I would imagine. Yeah. Let me tell you, Chris Ray, the FBI director, he testified last year about the threat of um, white nationalist terrorism. And this is what he said. What I can tell you is that within, um, within the domestic terrorism bucket category as a whole, racially motivated violent extremism is, I think, the biggest bucket within that larger group. And within the racially motivated violent extremist bucket, uh, people uh, ascribing to some kind of white supremacist type um, ideology is, is certainly the, the biggest chunk of that. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV and more. Get no cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. Zero dollar copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. 
Just a real quick response for both of you. We are, we are short on time, but Clint Watts, first to you and then to Angela. How prepared um, is the federal government, do you think, for this threat going forward from your point of view, Clint? And also from your point of view, Angela, how prepared are Black Lives Matter and Black Voters Matter related groups? Because you're not just confronting people who don't want people to vote. They're actually confronting violence and potentially, potentially deadly violence. So, Clint, you first. Uh, across the FBI, I'm sure the federal government, DHS, they're over capacity. Now they have to investigate a crime that happened on January 6th while also trying to preempt a scattering and reshaping white supremacist and anti-government and conspiracy-based domestic terrorism threat. There are not enough resources to do both of those at the same time, and they probably could use a lot of support uh, from the Senate Homeland Affairs Committee that keeps dragging them out there to testify. And just really quick, what I was... What I would say to you, Joy, is um, there's a role that the government has to play in preparing these groups who are doing the work of the Lord, (laughs) trying to ensure that people can vote, that people can survive and that people can thrive in this country, the folks who built this country. And so what we really need to see is a response from local, state and federal law enforcement by info sharing and the same people right, who were on Capitol Hill on January 6th, that means that some of them can't be a part of law enforcement agencies because they're not sharing information to the good and for the protection of these groups who do the work every day. They're actually sharing that information to cause harm. You saw that as Exhibit A on January 6th. And so in addition to information sharing and coordination with all of those government entities, they have to get people in there who have the right intention. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Angela Rye, Clint Watts, thank you both very much. Appreciate you. And up next on the readout, long overdue relief for struggling families is starting to arrive. We will talk about what needs to happen next, including that $15 an hour minimum wage. Plus, Mitch McConnell is clearly very, very worried that Democrats are actually going to reform the filibuster. Nobody serving in this chamber can even begin, can even begin to imagine what a completely scorched earth Senate would look like. Yeah, we can. Former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid has some thoughts on that, and he will join me live. And Republicans pivot from anti-mask to anti-vax. That's just part of their deadly stew of misinformation. Even worse is their premature push to declare the pandemic over, encouraging everyone to just get out there and party. The readout continues after this. A black-owned union shop in the Philly suburbs was the opening was the opening stop today on President Biden's tour to promote the American Rescue Plan. Three hundred thousand Pennsylvanians lost jobs. A hundred million people are going to be getting not a joke. A check for fourteen hundred dollars to change their lives. I think you should be aware more help is on the way for real. President Biden also pointed out how close the bill came to not passing, thanks to every single Republican senator who voted against it, including Pennsylvania Republican Senator Pat Toomey, who called the bill a liberal wish list and claimed that the economy has been has come roaring back. So who needs a stimulus? That doesn't in any way reflect the actual reality on the ground. 7.3% of Pennsylvanians are unemployed as of January. 7% of adults in the state have reported not having enough to eat, with 30% reporting having difficulty paying for typical household expenses, according to the U.S. Census. And in background provided to reporters today, the White House notes that 20% of the state's renters, 20%, 
are behind on their rent. Joining me now is Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. He's running for the Senate seat currently held by Pat Toomey, who is stepping down. Uh, it is convenient, um, sir, that uh, Pat Toomey is sort of doing that kind of drive-by hit on his own state on his way out the door. He was club for growth, and he obviously doesn't care about giving people benefits. But what do you make of the fact that he's not even getting reelected? So there's no, you know, I don't know what the political incentives were, but that he just said no to this. Well, let me just say we're going to miss Pat. We really are. And uh, he said that it's a liberal wish list. Like, yeah, there is a lot of liberal wish list stuff on that. Like, imagine that people who can't pay rent are going to be able to stay in their homes. And people that haven't had enough food to eat during this pandemic are going to get help. You're going to get a stimulus check for those that have been unemployed. I mean, it is if you call that a wish list, I call that reality. And, you know, Pennsylvania showed up big for Joe Biden. And Joe Biden showed up big for Pennsylvania today. This is a game changing piece of legislation. To quote Joe Biden, this is a BFD. I, I mean, obviously, I can't say it like he, but when he said that about Obamacare, but it really is. I mean, this is one of the most monumental pieces of legislation, you know, in the 21st century. And, you know, I'm grateful that Pennsylvania had a part in that. And, and Pat Toomey, as you said, on his way out is just like, you know, like just one last bitter swing at the fact that, you know, there's talk about, you know, the Senate race. Like, you know who can't get elected in Pennsylvania? Pat Toomey. That's why he's going to retire, not because he wants to spend more time taking up a hobby. It's because Pennsylvania doesn't want what he's trying to sell. They wanted what Joe Biden's trying to sell. And today, Joe Biden came full circle and honored his commitment to help the everyday Pennsylvanian. And he did it in a Grand Slam fashion. Well, and you are because you're running for that Senate seat. I can ask you some sort of political questions because, I mean, here's the thing. Pennsylvania has swung kind of, you know, swung. It was a Trump state in 2016 for a lot of different reasons and very narrowly and then went back to Joe Biden, who has roots in Pennsylvania, et cetera. When you, campaigning statewide, I mean, there is a sense that there is a particularly a white working class voter who cares more about cultural issues than money or, or than like the economy. Or is that true? When presented with all of the sort of income that is going to come into, you know, 85 percent of, of, of American taxpayers are going to get a check of some level. Is that actually powerful um, politics in a state like Pennsylvania still? Well, certainly there's going to be Republicans and people across Pennsylvania that are unreachable. That for whatever reason, they, they just don't want to be part of mainstream society or they view uh, people in a way that is, is just they're just not reachable. But, you know, the billions of dollars that the, the American Rescue Plan is going to deliver to Pennsylvania is going to benefit Red County, Pennsylvania, perhaps more than Blue County, Pennsylvania. And people are going to see that and they're going to understand that some of the hardest hit counties in all of Pennsylvania are deep red. And it's 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 a disgrace that not one single Republican in our delegation voted for the American Rescue Plan. But eight out of nine of them voted to say that the election was fraudulent in Pennsylvania and in this country. I mean, that tells you all you need to do about the Repub no, about the Republicans right there. That, And they'll be the first ones to show up at a ribbon cutting or say to their constituents, right. well, we have this aid and this government and, and all and, and my constituents are going to stay in their homes. It's 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 reprehensible. And again, think about that. Not one of them voted for their constituents in this bill, but but eight out of nine of them voted to say that Pennsylvania was the election was rigged, even though they were on the same ballot. That's that's our GOP yeah. right now. If you put the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage on the ballot right now, raise the minimum wage, would that pass in Pennsylvania? 
hundred percent, hundred percent, it would pass. And and that's one of the things about the bill that that left me heartbroken. Uh, this idea that a body of of, of elected officials that make one hundred seventy four thousand dollars a year, a majority of them, said that you don't deserve to make at least thirty one thousand dollars a year working full time, often in jobs that are really not very glamorous and, and very difficult. I, I think that's that's a tragedy. Pennsylvania wants a, a minimum wage increase, and we have again a Republican controlled legislature that says seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour is okay. And we in Pennsylvania know that a $15 an hour minimum wage attaches a dignified paycheck to the dignity that all work has. And and we have to bypass I'm sorry. And there was another thing your Pennsylvania legislature has been up to um, has been trying to restrict the vote and make it harder for places like Philadelphia to vote, because that was, again, you said it. A lot of Republicans voted to say, no, the election was fraudulent, except not my own personal election, just the Trump one. Do you think that 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 is going to become law, that it's going to get harder and harder to vote in Pennsylvania, particularly for Pennsylvanians of color? Is that coming? Uh, Unfortunately, they they certainly tried, which is which is more bizarre because the vote by mail law was actually very much a Republican bill. It was unanimously supported by Republicans. And of course, they had to change their tune when the president, the then President Trump, came out against it. But the good news is that that bill, that what they're trying to do is going to die under the veto pen of Governor Wolf. And there's no chance that vote by mail is going to go away, thankfully, because we have the votes on our side to block that. And the governor would certainly veto that. And the Republicans know that. But just understand, the only reason the Republicans voted to go agree to vote by mail is because they wanted to get rid of the straight party voting option, which made voting easier and quicker in predominantly black urban areas like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. They thought that was the holy grail where they could just say, hmm, all right, we'll give this up. Hmm. And then when it backfired on them, they had buyer's remorse. And now they, they, they're they against it before they were for it. But fortunately, the governor is going to veto that if it ever makes it out of out of the legislature. We will keep an eye on it. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, uh, really good of you to come on tonight. Really appreciate you. Thank you. And still ahead, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is threatening a scorched earth Senate if Democrats mess with the filibuster. We'll ask former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid what that means and what Democrats can do about it next on The Readout. Looking at the TQP, you know, the Trump QAnon party, you'd have no clue, really, what they stand for. But you sure do know what they're against. They're against stimulus checks for struggling Americans. They're against additional tax cuts that might help lift families out of poverty. They're against affordable health care. They're against more people voting. They're against fixing the broken immigration system. And they're against fixing our crumbling infrastructure network. In other words, they're against the very things that polls show are exactly the things the majority of Americans want. And Democrats are increasingly growing tired of Republican obstruction. Take, for example, Illinois Senator Dick Durbin. Yesterday, the Senate stalwart said it was time to change the filibuster rules. This is what hitting legislative rock bottom looks like. Today's filibuster has turned the world's most deliberative body into one of the world's most ineffectual bodies. We are like the giant in Gulliver's Travel, tied down by our own legislative red tape unable to respond to crises and the clear wishes of the American people. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who changed the filibuster rule without a second thought, 
back in 2017 so he could ram through conservative Supreme Court nominees. We didn't like what he was hearing. So today, McConnell poked his head out of his shell to threaten Democrats if they go ahead and change the rules. Nobody serving in this chamber can even begin, can even begin to imagine what a completely scorched earth Senate would look like. This chaos would not open up an express lane to liberal change. It would not open up an express lane for the Biden presidency to speed into the history books. The Senate would be more like a hundred car pileup. As soon as Republicans wound up back in the saddle, we wouldn't just erase every liberal change that hurt the country. We'd strengthen America with all kinds of conservative policies with zero, zero input from the other side. Joining me now is former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada. Uh, best last name in the political business, I'm just going to say. Uh, and, you know, Senator Reid, is that a real threat? Because the reality is Republicans are against, what are they going to do? Reverse the Civil Rights Act of 1964? You know, completely reverse the Voting Rights Act to get rid of Medicare and Social Security and they tried it with Obamacare. I seem to remember in his home state, Mitch McConnell's home state, Matt Bevin, the governor there, tried getting rid of Obamacare and got bounced by the voters. Is it a real threat, do you think, from McConnell? McConnell is facing reality, and it bothers him a lot. The filibuster is on its way out. It's not a question if, it's a question when it goes away. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be six months from now. But the filibuster is doomed to failure. You cannot have a democracy that requires 60% of the vote on everything. And that's what the Republicans have done. They have made a mockery of what the Senate should be. For example, Lyndon Johnson was mm-hmm. Lyndon Johnson was the leader for six years. During that period of time, he had overcome two filibusters. My, my first year, six years as leader, I had overcome more than 100 filibusters. So the, pile, the car pile up that McConnell's talked about is already there. They've created. Well, and the the, the the filibusters that, you know, Lyndon Johnson faced were largely around civil rights. And the, the old Dixiecrats that used to do that are now the Republicans. Like, that is now the Dixiecrat party. And they are against anything that's progressive. But you're, you were quite good at politics when you were in the game. Could any Republican senator get reelected? for getting rid of things like Obamacare and getting rid of Medicare and getting rid of Social Security and banning abortion, the things they say they want to do, if they did them, wouldn't they then be immediately removed by the voters? Of course, you cannot. We passed Obamacare on Christmas Eve. We got every Democratic vote we needed, just barely had it. It was the first time we'd met on Christmas Eve in 150 years. Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, has been widely popular throughout America. Republicans like it. Independents like it. Of course, Democrats overwhelmingly like it. So Mitch McConnell is crying crocodile tears that nobody cares because what he has done to the Senate is a mockery of what the Senate used to be. When they were in control of the Senate, they didn't allow any amendments. There there was certainly no votes on anything other than judges. That's all they did. And uh, we now have a Democratic majority. It, even it, it's a close majority, but we, we control it because of Kamala Harris as vice president. And uh, I'm sure that that is, uh, we have Mitch McConnell 
crying, oh, it's going to be terrible if uh, you get rid of the filibuster. But the country is better off by having a real democracy, not a fake democracy. 60% is not a democracy. Let's talk a little bit about the Democrats then, because you're right. And not all the Democrats agree. Um, There are some Democrats, and it isn't just Joe Manchin. We talk a lot about him, but he's, you know, as the sort of underboss of the party. In some ways, he seems like he's running the the joint. Um, But it's other people. It's Mark Warner. It's Kristen Sinema, Jackie Rosen, Jack Reed, Leahy, and others who who, who don't want to get rid of the filibuster. Um, There are some who are open to change. The majority are open to change. And there are only four, Sherrod Brown, Ben Cardin, Richard Blumenthal, and Tammy Baldwin, who are just like, kill it all together. How do you get them to come on board, the ones who are reluctant to get rid of, who are afraid that Republicans will come in and just, you know, vote out the Civil Rights Act if they get the majority? You know, all over the world, we have parliaments that the majority rules. Take Great Britain, for example. What the majority party wants, they get most of the time. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what democracy is all about. And I think that uh, people are not aware of the fact that our country is not working well. We have a lot of things that we need to get done. The American Rescue Act, we got it done because of uh, the reconciliation. We can only do that once more, this whole Congress. We've got a lot of things we need to get done. We need to get infrastructure, great jobs. We have deteriorating roads, highways, bridges, dams, water systems, sewer systems. We can't do that with a filibuster. We, we, We can't get 60 votes on stuff like that. Because Republicans already said they're going to oppose everything Biden wants. Well, and, and it's it's not just yeah, to get the numbers correct. It is 19 who apparently want to kill it. Sorry, 19 who want to kill it, not four. Um, how would you do it? If, if the filibuster was going to be killed procedurally, how would you do it? Only need a majority vote. I, I, I did. I created that. Uh, President, you only need a simple majority. Just a simple majority. You okay. Need, and short of need, that. You only, need a, you only need a simple majority to get rid of the 60 vote threshold. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And so let's say if they, you couldn't get you couldn't get the, the 60 votes. Is there something, 51 votes, is there something short of killing it all together that you think would fix this problem? Is there some other way to change the filibuster? Well, we have a number of people, Al Franken called me today, and he's been talking to Joe Manchin. They're talking about having a modified filibuster where you'd have to stand for a certain period of time. And then uh, when they got tired of standing, they would have a majority vote. So there, there were, people are concerned about it and know it has to change. And I'm glad there's some conversation being conducted right now as we speak. Well, we shall see. I hope that they listen to you and, and Al Franken, uh, because it does absolutely, I think, need to go. But we'll see what happens. Senator Harry Reid, always great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Hey, and still ahead, Florida's. Thank you. Florida's governor has put some of his city's mayors in a tight spot as spring breakers with little concern for COVID flood the state. Tonight's absolute worst is next. Stay right there. There's a 
reason you're feeling fatigued, stressed, and isolated. You've been trying to survive a pandemic for more than a year and doing everything you can to keep your family and yourself alive and safe. And it certainly doesn't help that a segment of the population is acting like the pandemic is, is over, simply because they're tired of it too. They don't want to wear a mask, and so no one should. Take that mask off. They don't like the lockdown orders or having their lives disrupted or being told what to do, as if anybody does. So, you know, they're acting like they're special, right? They're special. They're more special than you or your life or your loved ones. And therefore, this entire pandemic and the half a million dead in this country alone, they simply blow all that off as no big deal. Who cares? I'm doing what I want. Which is exactly what North Dakota Republican Senator Kevin Kramer said this week. I am perplexed by this administration's desire to keep this pandemic going. Governor DeSantis knows far better than anybody in Washington, D.C., whether Florida is ready to be open. And I, I, I trust his judgment. And I hope that people get on airplanes and go to Florida. I know I'm going to. OK, first of all, anyone who trusts the judgment of Mr. Open Up Disney World in the middle of a pandemic, Mr. Concierge Vaccines for the Rich, Ron DeSantis, has some serious soul searching to do. But also, have we not learned anything since last March? Have we not learned yet that this, this here, folks flitting off to Florida and Texas for spring break to bask in margarita-filled delirium where there are no mask mandates, that maybe this is a bad idea? Trust me, SPF 50 will not protect you from COVID-19. And neither will these lies. But here they are, sprinkling across the country like evil fairy dust, thanks to Tucker Carlson, whose sheer commitment to harm Fox viewers includes slamming the vaccine the same week his boss... Rupert Murdoch got the shot. Now, Tucker, I don't know who hurt you, but this game you're playing, it isn't just dangerous, it's deadly. And your very own company knows it, which is why today Fox Corporation's CEO told staffers that they won't be returning to the office before September. They'll keep working from home. I wonder why that is. Hmm. Oh, oh, that's right. COVID can kill you. And now researchers at Johns Hopkins, real scientists, have released a study showing that Republican-led states had the highest death rates from July 4th through mid-December. Researchers, again, scientific researchers, not political snake oil peddlers, link these higher death rates with Republicans being less stringent about safeguards. Now, this isn't all happening because people are simply selfish or, or reckless, though that is a part of it. This is an orchestrated campaign to spread COVID disinformation, fueled by political ambition, by ratings, by profits, with no regard for its impact on our nation, the lives upended and the lives that we've lost. And by the way, zero regard for these media hacks own audiences, the people who trust them the most, which is why the COVID denier industrial complex is the absolute worst. COVID deniers have gone from anti-mask to anti-vax, throwing a wrench in the pandemic fight. The vaccine is here, but a growing number of Republicans don't want it, even as the CDC warns of another surge as more Americans insist on turning spring break destinations into COVID hotspots. Joining me now is Dr. Zeke Emanuel, a former member of President Biden's COVID response transition team. Uh, and Dr. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, did it horrified you as much as it horrified me to see Florida just breaking out in spring break um, festivities um, over the past week when local mayors like the Miami-Dade mayor were saying, please don't come here. And here they came. Is this is this the seeds of another outbreak when those kids get back on planes and fly home wherever they're, wherever they're from? Well, it's very worrisome, uh, Joy, as you point out. We've uh, This is a rerun of what happened last year uh, where people kept 
coming to Florida at the start of the first pandemic or first surge of the pandemic. And you have to be worried, not just because people are coming together, are going to spend a lot of time together, but that these new variants, which are much more infectious and more deadly, uh, are worrisome. So that spending time together now could be even worse than it was a year ago. Uh, and that that is a big concern. And you know, we've warned about it. And I think you see the head of the CDC, uh, Rochelle Walensky, also warning about it. You know, and it's it's ironic that you have you know people on the right claiming that it's President Biden that's trying to prolong the vaccine. That's what's prolonging. I mean, prolong the, the pandemic. That's what's prolonging the pandemic. If people would just, you know, for like six weeks, just, you know, have some discipline, some self-discipline, we could be out of it. But they won't. Um, I, I wonder if you how much you think Trump could influence this. Uh, Trump apparently went on Maria Bartiromo's show this evening and, you know, he got his vaccine in secret. He didn't want to be part of the sort of, you know, the you know, every everybody getting together and PSAing and trying to get everyone to do it. But now he's he said he said out of his own mouth, people should get the vaccine. He recommends people do it. Um, do you think that's the breakthrough we need? Because, you know, we were just talking a little bit in the break. My thought is the minute he says that all of the Fox News and Newsmax and OAN Empire will turn on a dime because they just say what he says. So if he says get the vaccine and then they switch sides and say get the vaccine, is that the breakthrough we need? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think it'll help. It certainly can't hurt uh, uh, to have the uh, President Trump uh, endorse it and get uh, admit that he got the vaccine and very much wanted the vaccine because, uh, you know, he he was in very bad shape, uh, contrary to what he was trying to portray when he got COVID. Uh, but if you look at the Frank Luntz focus groups that he did over the weekend, I didn't look at them. I've read reports of it, but I also uh, talked extensively to someone who actually watched them. It appears that the key element for these people uh, uh, who are seem hesitant is, and maybe even resistant is not so much having a politician say it, but having someone they know and trust like their local doctor. And I think maybe one of the secret weapons we haven't used as extensively as we should have are having doctors talk directly to their Patients. Now, maybe with the J&J &J vaccine that w uh, has the capacity to be refrigerated, can go to doctors to administer to their own patients, uh, maybe that will initiate this sort of more traditional route, having doctors who patients trust say, you know, you should come in for this vaccine um, because doctors do believe it's the right thing to do. And I do think that hyperlocal uh, getting the message from your someone you trust is going to be really, really important. And I think that could be the key element here that breaks this uh, cycle. There are, in the end, going to be some residual anti-vaxxers who, you know, going to throw up all sorts of things like vaccines yeah. cause autism or they cause Alzheimer's or whatever the false yeah. argument is. But I think the vast majority of Americans, 85 plus percent, uh, really uh, will end up taking this vaccine. Yeah, I mean, there are people who don't want to get vaccine, vaccinated for the measles. So, I mean, there are people who just are way right. out there. But so let's talk about sort of the pragmatic parts of it. You know, it, it, it is sort of frustrating 
to look at the way that this is being rolled out. It's great that we're hitting and meeting and exceeding the targets that President Biden set forward. But it is so different in what depending on your state. In some states, you can get it if you're a teacher. In Florida, teachers are saying, hey, why aren't we in the line? In some states, you can get it when you're 16 and up. You know, Connecticut just dropped the age way down. In some states, you have to be 60. It's so varied state by state. Do you think that's a good idea? Or should the CDC put out guidance that says, look, if you're an essential worker, if you're a teacher, if you're on, you know, if you're this job or that, you should just get it regardless of age. Is all of the are all these varying rules just making it harder? Uh, Joy, I think by the tone of your question, I agree with you, which is I've always been for a centralized approach, one method, because one of the problems is people look at other states and it doesn't make any sense. There's got to be one way right. which is better and we should be pushing it out because, among other things, it helps create one message. You're not tailoring the message for different groups. Uh, it also does right. mean that we can agree on priority groups. I've long said, you know, healthcare workers, people over 65, they need to get it. Uh, then we should have essential workers. We should have teachers, grocery store uh, workers, uh, meatpacking plant yes. workers, uh, other agricultural workers. I think that should be the national standard. Um, and I think it makes it just much easier um, and you can then look at states. So how many healthcare workers they have, how many people over 65, how many uh, frontline uh, essential workers and teachers and allocate the vaccine on that basis, and not on it. the basis right. of population, right. which bears nothing right. to what we actually want to achieve. That's right. Do, do you think also kids? There's now been some testing. I think it was a Moderna vaccine that was tested on kids that it, 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 shouldn't we be vaccinating school kids? Because wouldn't they if school kids and teachers and college kids got it, that seems to me like the best way to get younger people vaccinated. Kids, anyone connected with a school all the way up through college. Well, they, uh, first of all, it hasn't been proven safe for children. Uh, any of the vaccines, the Moderna, the J&J &J, or the Pfizer vaccine have not been proven safe for yeah. children under 16. And so Moderna has proposed that it's going to run uh, trials with uh, children as young as six months. Those trials are absolutely essential. For one thing, they need to figure out what the right dosage is because we don't know. Yeah. Often we have uh, smaller doses for smaller kids, uh, in part because their yeah. immune system is exuberant. Uh, so small. I think <laughs> yeah. uh, running those trials is very, yeah. very important. And I hope people enroll their kids in it. Um, and uh, we uh, should hopefully. get that we'll see. by the fall. All right. Well, Zeke Emanuel, appreciate you. That is tonight's readout. That Be sure to join me tomorrow. My special guest will be the brand new secretary of HUD of Housing and Urban Development, Marsha Fudge, in her first interview since she was confirmed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.